Wow, I just came out of my interview with my special guest, Elizabeth Pierce. She's a therapist, mom, an author. And if you are longing to experience God's love in that deep, soulful place, this is the show for you. We talk about how we have lived under the lies of the enemy, of Satan himself, who's trying to keep us from not living a free life, one of joy and hope and faith. We talk about taking the knowledge of God and Jesus from our head to our heart. We talk about what it means to be in our 40s as women and how to live life fully and not freak out or fear of aging. And then we talk about when we see people that are being abused in our community and church, how to help them. It is a full packed conversation that you need to watch right now. Elizabeth Pierce, thank you for being on the show here Thanks today. Yeah, this is great. And lovely blouse. Thank you. <laughs> I work just for you. <laughs> thank you. And I appreciate that. You know I would. Um, lots of roles that you have. Mm. You know, a mom, therapist, author, um, you know, advocate for those that are abused. Lots of roles. But before you got to that you know, being in those roles, there's a backstory to you mm-hmm. as, you know, a young girl, a young woman, and, and coming into that place. Because you don't just all of a sudden say, all right, now I'm going to be a therapist for 21 years, and I'm going to write a book on, you know, deep things of the heart with God. Uh, tell us, tell me a little bit about sort of your backstory, you know, growing up and your sort of faith journey a little bit. Okay. So I grew up um, in a blended family. My dad died when I was three, and my mom remarried when I was five. Um, And she married a man who had uh, two kids whose wife had died as well. So I grew up in a bit of a Brady Bunch sort of situation (laughs) without all the crazy stuff that uh, (laughs) went on with the Brady Bunch. And um, they were, we were a Christian family. We went to church every Sunday. And so I feel like, you know, as far as I can remember from the time I can remember, um, faith and who God is has been a part of Mm -hmm. my story. And I think probably experiencing what I experienced in my family with my dad dying and with my Mm -hmm. siblings mom dying kind of opened my eyes early on to sort of the hard things in life and the pain that people live through my mom went through a couple bouts of cancer when I was uh, in grade seven so I didn't sort of get to have that idyllic childhood where it was free from kind of the hard stuff a lot of my friends had um, you know their first experience of anything hard was when their grandparent died at the appropriate time in life you Mm -hmm. know and Mm -hmm. so for me, I think I had an early introduction to the fact that uh, life isn't, you know, all unicorns and roses. And uh, I think that's probably what God used to birth the desire in me to be a therapist. So mm-hmm. I can remember as early as uh, elementary school when you had to pick a profession that you wanted to shadow. Um, and I picked uh, shadowing the guidance counselor because that was the only thing I knew yeah. at the time of a way to help people who were having hard times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sort of just gradually morphed into you know, when you go into high school, you sort of research what kinds of professions are there. And that's what led me to picking my the profession of being a therapist. Wow. Yeah. So. 
blended family. Mm-hmm. I I'm now in a blended family. You know, married Chris, who uh, you know has brought two wonderful children. Mm-hmm. Um, being uh, you know a child who grew up in that, what would you say would be? I mean, I guess looking at it as a mother now, yeah. it's like, what would be some maybe thoughts or advice you can give me as how to do it well? I mean, I know it's not prescriptive, but just what? Because I think I'm still trying to learn. I mean, this mm-hmm. is new, so I'm like. How do you do this well? Because a blended family has a lot of challenges Mm -hmm. and yet beauty and the kids are well-loved by a lot of people. But there's also challenges because you're bringing all kinds of different values from one family to another mm-hmm. and and they're very different true what would what's some advice do you have any thoughts of what mm. what could help <laughs> help me so I think the thing that I really appreciated mm-hmm. um, from my dad I've never called him my stepdad I've always just yeah. called him my dad um, I always felt like there was a Uh, just an understanding and a respect for the fact that I had another dad that Mm. there was a special attachment to. um, And if ever I was talking about him and I felt kind of awkward, like, you know, sorry, dad, like I feel like, you know, I'm maybe not being respectful of your role. He would just blatantly say, you know, well, of course you feel like that. He's your dad. Mm. So there was real permission for me to have that kind of special place held in my heart for my um, birth dad. And uh, I think that that really is probably a key thing, right? Kids need Mm. the permission to stay loyal to and in allegiance with the person that helped create them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they don't feel pressure to not change that allegiance, then it gives them the freedom and the space to be fully themselves. So if you can do that for your um, stepkids where they feel like you fully support the relationship they have with their mm-hmm. mom and that that's okay for them to talk about her in front of you and it doesn't hurt your feelings, like all those kinds of things, yeah. it just offers them that space um, and they won't have to get mad at you later for you making them choose yeah that's actually really good and I I think that I'm very aware of that of of really ensuring that the kids aren't feeling this tug of war between I mean for a while there I mean I never was called mom I always said call me a mentor or just Melinda Mm because we never wanted to confuse the mom uh, role so now that's really good and I think I want to I need to be reminded of that and being just very you know aware of that but mm-hmm. kids are great and it's more and more as I go and speak Elizabeth there's so many more families that are blended absolutely it's very common it is days. really common yeah. it's it wasn't one of common things. back when I was a kid mm-hmm. um, but it is totally common, common now. now yeah now you said you grew up in a Christian home mm-hmm. um how did your understanding of you know faith in God, a follower of Jesus, sort of help mm. you navigate, you know, through the blended family, some of the these painful childhood things you went through, mm. and then moving into the role as a therapist. What was his, you know, his role in your life? I grew up feeling like he was very present mm. and someone that was an active part of our daily life. So like if I would go to my mom um, after my dad died and tell him, tell her that I missed my dad, she would say, well, why don't you talk to Jesus and ask him to tell your daddy that you love him? So from a really early age, I was offered this understanding of how God could be there with me in my pain and how he could intercede for me, even though as a kid, I didn't obviously understand that that's what that actually was. Um, I think my parents really set the stage for me with respect to that. So I kind of have gone through my growing up years with that as my foundation, which I really feel probably protected me from a lot of stuff that I could have um, found myself in otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I really am thankful that I had that despite all the sort of hard stuff that 
we were living through, mm-hmm. there was that sort of safe, sheltered place where I could kind of go to for my faith that enabled me to kind of cope. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. I think that's important, too, for parents to know, to mm-hmm. create that. I, I think it's really that relational way about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, it's sort of like, go, go and talk to him. Yeah. He's present. You Never know, question that, yeah. Right? And I think, you know, even from my own upbringing, that was really, it wasn't this... Now okay, wait. Now we're gonna go to church and do it. Or mm-hmm. it was it was just part of sort yeah. of the tapestry of my life. Like Absolutely. Jesus is here, He's with us. We talk to Him. Mm-hmm. Prayer is communication. He cares. Yeah. And you're like, oh, so that's why I think when people have always said, you know, Mel, when you've gone through difficult times, did you blame God? I'm like, never. Yeah, I, never I blame that. myself for the poor choices yeah. I made. But no, because. I think as a young child, I always realized he was there yeah. and he was real and involved in in my life. And I think, I think that was a really important part of my my parents' parenting. Sure, which absolutely. sounds like with your parents absolutely. as well. Absolutely, it's really crucial. I think. Yeah, yeah. has that um, has that become evident in the way you are parenting now, mm-hmm. your kids? Absolutely. That same thing. Yeah, I feel. Um, really committed to ensuring that my kids have that same kind of understanding about who Jesus is and how personal he is and mm-hmm. how um, passionately he wants to be involved in their everyday and, you know, like encouraging them to pray before they go in for tests. And, mm-hmm. you know, last night my one son was feeling angry and he couldn't figure out why. And so I was encouraging him to ask God to help him understand why was he feeling so angry and to help him deal with those angry feelings. Like it's just the, the language that we use in our yeah. home and the way that we deal with everyday stuff so that um, hopefully I'm sort of encouraging them to understand that he is present in the everyday, that it's not just at certain times and it's not even when you feel it, like he's even there when you're angry or he's, mm-hmm. you know, like that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So That's good because I think that authenticity about it is important because, you know, I've had friends who struggle to say, how do I actually really engage my children, young mm-hmm. teenagers on this sort of this real relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And she was some, you know, some of my girlfriends, like it feels forced. Yeah. I don't feel it's natural. And my kids know that too. They can right. feel it. Right. You know, um, what would you say as a parent, like how do you make that just sort of a natural part of the everyday and the rhythm of it, this Jesus being present, Jesus passionately pursuing you? Because I know that's your, one of your passions mm-hmm, and love is absolutely. to ensure that people know that they're passionately pursued by a loving God who yeah. loves them. H- how do you make that a, a real part of your, your life, that with, truth? With my kids. Yeah, with your kids and, and your husband. How does that, how do you do it? So kind of like what I was just describing yeah. to you in terms of how I interact with my kids when yeah. they're dealing with things, that's sort of a, I try to ensure that that's forefront of my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like uh, there's a lot of great wise people who've gone before me that I've learned from as well. I know um, Dr. Tim Kimmel's written a couple of books, Mm -hmm. uh, um, Grace-Based Parenting being one of them, and uh, Why Christian Kids Rebel being another. And, you know, he really Mm, talks about understanding your, um, the grace that you've received as a child of God, and that that needs to be the filter through which you interact with your children. And in the um, Why Christian Kids Rebel, it's really all about what you just described. If they sense or sniff out the hypocrisy or the lack of Mm -hmm. authenticity, they're not going to be interested in it because that's not what's going to resonate for them. So I sort of feel like the closer I am with Jesus and the more I'm allowing him to be a part of my every moment of every day, Mm -hmm. that's going to be evident just because he's with me as I'm interacting with my kids, as I'm engaging with the cashier, as I'm talking with my husband. And so I sort of feel like my first responsibility is to live it out moment by moment Mm -hmm. and that that will be 
the platform from which I can then speak into their lives about his presence in their lives as well. That's good. Now, I know that also one of your, you know, passions and, and you know, one of these sort of truths that you want people to know is that mm-hmm. a lot of times we live in the in our head of mm-hmm. the head knowledge, but you're saying we need this heart um, feeling of, of knowing God and yeah. in relationship. Um, how... How do you do that, Elizabeth? I mean, there's some people who really struggle with, I know in my head. Yeah. And I've got a lot of questions and doubts and things, but I just, I don't, I don't get it in, in the everyday of the feeling and mm. knowing I'm loved or he's present. And then, and then sort of that kind of going out into my family and how I live. Mm. I, I, I'm having a disconnect between head and heart. Right. Uh, what would you say to people that are struggling with that? How do you get that mm-hmm. head and heart, I would say, you know, to really live out this life, you know, authentically with Jesus. So I don't consider myself an expert, but yeah. I'll tell you yeah. what I've stumbled upon yeah. along the way that's been really powerful for me. So um, I think it's really easy for us as Christians to stay in our head because we can fill our heads with a ton of really important theology and knowledge. We can read a ton of books. We can pursue higher education theologically. We can do all of these things that create more of an intellectual awareness for us. But it's that sort of being still and knowing that I'm God. It's that actual personal relationship with Jesus that's going to take it from our heads and put it down into our hearts. So, you know, I often think about it like in a relationship with, um, you know, a romantic relationship, you can learn a ton about the person that you're in relationship with, but if you're not having experiences with that person that draw you closer to them and deeper, if you're not sharing intimately and connecting with them on that deeper level, then it's always just going to feel like you know a lot about the person, but you don't feel connected to them. And it's a real mirror, in my opinion, for our relationship with God. If we um, are just learning and knowing and it's all kind of head stuff, but we're not pursuing Him from a place of depth and if we're not kind of in relationship with him if we're not talking to him about things if we're not inviting him into our everyday if he's in our bible and on our nightstand and in our church but not with us in the bathroom while we're getting ready in the morning, then we're not going to experience his love because we're keeping him here. We're right. sort of pushing him, holding him back and talk to the hand and sort some of thing, Yeah, right? and some people would say, well, that's easier because once he yeah. starts engaging with me, then things are going to change. It's true. Absolutely. <laughs> then right? heart work happens, yes. right? And, and yeah, that's not necessarily for the faint of heart, yeah. except for that it's done from a place of pure, unadulterated love. Mm-hmm. And so it's the safest place to be, even if it's not the easiest. Yeah, it's funny. And that's it's true. It's like... You know, people who I know that, you know, aren't followers of Jesus and, you know, are kind of like resistant. Mm -hmm. Part of it I see in some of my friends is that they know that once the encounter happens, there will be the hard work of like, shoot. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't do that anymore, not based on that it's bad for me, but because I know that God wants something better for me. Yeah. And so they don't want that. The others, you know, my friends, they're just like, I don't know if I really believe in God the way that you do. Yeah. I don't, you know, there's there's certain blocks and obstacles. Yeah. Uh, what would you say to those people, those people who are saying, shoot, if I am, if I really engage, then there's going to be the, the hard work of it. Mm. What's the benefit, you know, to encourage them? Because some of them are like, I just, I know that if I go there, it's going to mean a whole change. Yeah. What, what would you say as far as, you know, come on, let's do it. (laughs) It's worth it. So I would say that it's a lie of the enemy Mm -hmm. that engaging in that change is going to be a bad thing or too hard or too scary. And that the reason why he's creating that opposition and that resistance is because he knows how good it's going to be for you. And his job is to steal, kill and destroy. And that's what he wants to do. 
Yeah, that's good. And I think it, that we need to you know, inform people that the enemy is real that way. Absolutely. Right? I mean, some people don't want to talk about it, mm-hmm. talk about him, the enemy, but he's real Absolutely. and that's what he's doing. Yeah. Um, in your book that you've, you've written, um, Deep Soulful Places, mm-hmm. obviously that comes from, you know, for you and your journey with, with God um, and, you know, heart, you know, head to heart mm-hmm. and the enemy, you've written this book. Uh, talk to me a little bit about as you've written it, as you wrote it, mm-hmm. your own journey with it. Because, you know, as you write, it's almost like, you know, I'm, I'm sure things came up that you're mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, that was either a, a new truth or, wow, that's a hard thing that I have to wrestle with myself mm-hmm. as I write it for others. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the journey in, in this book. Okay. So for me, I feel like that the stories that I wrote about and the, mm-hmm. the various chapters, each one being a place where Jesus wants to meet you with his love to create that feeling of depth and experience that some of those chapters were inspired by my experiences with people over the years, either in therapy sessions or personally in my, um, you know, my daily life with mm-hmm. friends and family. The one that I think is probably the most powerful for me was the one on fear. And that was the one where I, I really felt like it was the most um, sort of vulnerable mm. chapter for me only because I think that's the place where I needed the most work done in my own life with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my early experiences uh, understandably made me aware of how quickly life could end. Yeah. Um, but I think I allowed myself over the years, unrealizing it at the time, to believe some of the lies that the enemy was telling me about being afraid, about um, being afraid that I was going to lose someone. I was never afraid of dying myself personally, mm-hmm. except for um, when I had children, then I was afraid of them having to deal with that pain because I had lived through it myself. So. For me, it was really untangling the lies of the enemy around fear and letting that be the boss of me. I think I mentioned in the chapter that if I didn't daily and intentionally choose to not listen to those lies, that I could very easily have mm-hmm. that be the boss of me again. So um, that's probably the one that was the most personal yeah. for me. Well, and that makes sense. That's big. Like mm-hmm. when you are when you felt that loss, mm-hmm. um, it makes sense that that's what your response would be. I mm-hmm. think when I went through, you know, that part of divorce where, you know, he chose to leave me, man, I had to go through that whole, you know, phase of abandonment and rejection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then going into other relationships, you know, whether, you know, eventually my my husband now, but even just friendships, there was this, I had serious trust issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I went to, you know, Christian counseling. So I'm like, I'm having some major issues on people and friendship and trust. Yeah. And if, if there's that chance of ever finding love again, I'm having some major roadblocks. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and she said, but it makes sense when you go yeah. through that trauma unexpectedly and that if that's going to happen to you. And yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. Cause yeah. I didn't, I was like, I'm really messed up, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, but understanding where that comes from and yet going through counseling, but also okay, Jesus, you're with me and yeah. you're not going to leave me and I'm going to be okay. Absolutely. Were some big truths that had to come through that I had to fight now that I know the lies of the enemy saying, exactly. you're not worthy. Look at, of course you were rejected. Look yeah. at you. Look at how you were as a wife and yeah. your marriage. And so all of these are building up. And then it was like, no, I have to really cut through those lies and, and be open and trusting again. And I think that's really what it comes down to, right? It's not that feelings are wrong, but they're not always mm-hmm. telling us the truth, especially when the enemy gets in there and tries to twist and pervert things, right? Right. And so it's about doing exactly what you said, which is so wise of you to just sort of 
seek godly counsel, whether it's a you know counselor or whether it's a friend, but just sussing out the difference between, mm-hmm. okay, what's a legitimate, understandable feeling in this situation, and where has the enemy tried to get in and take it and twist it and use it to prevent me from living the full life yeah. that God intends for me to live. Yeah. Elizabeth, imagine all the people that are just not living full lives because oh, they're I so know. entangled. I mean, lives, because they're so entangled by the lies of the enemy. Breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many. And if you, you know, there are moments where you're just like, you want to shake them, go, that's such a lie. It's so not true. Believe this. I actually will just say that to them. (laughs) It's actually a lie. Yeah. When you do that, is that jarring for people? Do they immediately believe that? Or obviously it takes a while. But what, when you say that, you know, how do people, I know it's the counseling for me, but how do we as women in community help people break that or understand mm-hmm. that? Because I, I feel like I want to be, you know, a mentor to younger women yeah. and, and you know, even a mentor in in same, you know, stage and, and phase for other women. Mm-hmm. How as women do we help each other break those lies? Because, you know, we live uh, under that a lot. Yeah, we do. I, I sort of feel like I have... A responsibility, much like you were just articulating, to speak that truth. And when God reveals to me that someone is believing a lie, or um, I hear it coming out of their mouth, yeah. and it's so clear that that's what it is, that I feel like I have a responsibility to lovingly point that out. And it obviously depends on who that person is, how I say it. Sometimes I'm as blatant as that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Sometimes it's a little gentler, like it sound, that doesn't sound like what I know to be true about God. It doesn't sound like what he says about these kinds of situations, I'm wondering if there's, you know, some lies from the enemy in there. It just sort of depends on who I'm talking to. Yeah. But I really feel like we have a responsibility because if we're noticing it and we're hearing it and we're not shining the Holy Spirit's light of truth on it, the enemy is allowed to continue doing his stuff unexposed. Yeah. And that's so scary because mm-hmm. I imagine like a whole lifetime of people believing the lie and never experiencing the freedom that Christ gives. I know. Yeah. It's as I say this, I'm kind of like look, thinking about all the, the people in the world that are entangled in the lies, and it's heartbreaking. You could do a podcast every day for the rest of your life. <sighs> yeah, right, because there's that many of them. Your book with the title "The Deep Soulful Places" mm-hmm. that resonates with me because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, in such a busy world and culture, whether it's ministry busy, Jesus busy, life busy, work mm-hmm. busy, that it just. Oh, that's how I feel when I when I hear that title. Deep, soulful places, you know, kind of unpack that a little bit, just that. Okay. And how do we find that? How do we live in that place mm. where it's deep, it's soulful, it sounds restful mm-hmm. in a chaotic world that we live in? So I came to that title because I think throughout the book there were a couple of times where I found myself writing those words and they resonated for me when mm-hmm. I wrote them um, because I, I believe that that's you know, where God resides, right? His spirit mm-hmm. resides in those deep, soulful places, not in our, you know, sort of the freneticness of our day yeah. or our head or um, our schedule so much as he, he wants to sort of settle in deep with us. And it's in those places that I believe are where he's created um, himself to be that we get the fullness from him that he intends for us. So it's in it's in that pursuing of him, in that mm-hmm. connecting with him, in that 
um, desiring a deeper intimacy with Jesus that I believe we tap into that deep soulful place that he's there ready to kind of say yes come in let's have this kind of deep conversation together this interaction with each other um, which I think comes from that relationship that pursuing of him Mm -hmm. and from choosing to ignore the lies and focus on the truth Mm -hmm. I sort of feel like that's where that begins to unfold for someone who's listening Mm -hmm. and watching Elizabeth you know they're like I want that Mm -hmm. what's sort of the first step to take you know whether whether you've been a Christian for a long time and you've sort of lost the beauty and simplicity of the relationship with Jesus or you know for the first time you're like listening and you're like I need that like Mm -hmm. I can't I've I've gone too long on my own you know energy and I'm sort of at the end of myself what would you say for a person who's like I'm I want to be there Mm. what would you say is the first step to take well my it sounds like a a sort of cheesy church answer but I actually mean it very sincerely Mm. I would say tell them that yeah tell them this is what I want this is this is the kind of relationship I want Mm-hmm. with you and I don't know how to navigate it so I need you to show me how to navigate it and I would start there that's so easy just to start because mm-hmm. he says in James you know if you draw near to me I'm going to draw near to you mm-hmm. you know ask it'll be given to you seek you'll find like those are his take to the bank promises that he makes to us so if that's what you're saying to him he's not going to remain silent he's going to show up he's going to respond he's yeah. going to um, take you to those deep soulful places because that's what he wants too yeah. and he's not going to say well wait a second before you do that I need you to clean up and Exactly. Get ready and yeah. and change this thing. I come as you really. I mean, again, I don't want to sound churchy cheesy, but really come as come you as are. I'm just Absolutely. say that. That's awesome. One of the things too that you are really passionate about and an advocate for is is women and children and men who are abused mm-hmm. or are being abused. And I think it's important that we don't lose that in mm-hmm. this in this conversation because that's a huge one. I think what was your numbers of how many people? Um, you say there's that, a woman murdered every six days yeah. in Canada by her intimate partner. Yeah, how is that even? I didn't even know that. Six yeah. days by her intimate partner and one in three or four abused in some way by their partner. Yeah. Those are huge numbers. They are. I had no numbers. idea. When, when you gave me this information, I was like, what? Yeah. Uh, okay, first of all, how is that possible and happening? And there's not an outcry of, of people freaking out going, this must stop. Uh, how, or how did we not know this? Because that was my neighbor. Mm-hmm. And yeah, talk to me about that because I, I that's appalling and the number is insane. I was like, I didn't know that. And, and what can we start to do to to help these these women and relationships, mm-hmm. you know, in regards to abuse? So I would say that a great place to start is like – that sort of awareness and acknowledgement that these women are the women in our circle, right? That if you're in any room, whether it's a Christian gathering or a non-Christian gathering, and you look around and go, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, like that is the prevalence of it. And so first of all, that awareness that that's people's reality is huge. And then that openness to being willing to notice the signs, to speak into that, to reach out to people if you see that happening. Um, Those are really important things because one of the classic ways that the abuse is allowed to continue is uh, it's because of power and control and usually what ends up happening is isolation is part of that, a cutting off of um, connectedness. So it's allowed to happen right under your nose because Mm. that woman is perhaps not allowed to go out or only allowed to go out when he's with her, those kinds of things. So, um, and 
you know, in the church, oftentimes what we end up hearing happen is that these um, relationships are relationships where the man is... um, you know, using the Bible to actually justify his behavior. And so a woman who loves God and wants to do what God says, who, you know, perpetually hears that, you know, the man's ahead of the home and that you are supposed to listen to me, like those kinds of messages, it makes it really hard to think that you shouldn't be Mm -hmm. dealing with this. Um, And this doesn't happen. Like people don't get in relationships because someone's abusive, right? People fall in love. Yeah. And then the cycle starts. So it's not like um, these women are picking to be in these horrible mm-hmm. relationships. This is sort of just unfolding. And so I think as we speak into that and as we acknowledge this is a reality for people and for women to hear it's not your fault, it's not okay, it does not reflect God's heart. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want this for you. And the Bible says that you know men are to be the head of the home as Christ is the head of the church. And oftentimes the last part of that verse is left off, right? Mm-hmm. Head of the home as Christ is the head of the church and gave himself up for the church. Like there's no justification for abuse or power and control Mm -hmm. in that as we start to speak the truth, like going back to speaking truth against the lies, right? Mm -hmm. As we start to do that, I think it offers people a different way to understand their situation. This is not okay with God. And I think that it's important for churches uh, to be that safe place that if if we're knowing these stats and that the church would be the perfect community to be that safe haven. Absolutely. You know, for safety for a woman being abused, but also a place to say in relationships and again, teaching and training and exposing like this is how a a loving, caring relationship is supposed to be. Absolutely. It's not control and domination where whether you've learned that from your family or you've learned that through a warped sense of scripture, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's that too. And I think a responsibility for the church Absolutely. and community, but also creating that place to say, you know, if you're having trouble in the home, you can come here and we're going to help you. you Absolutely. Know? And unfortunately, there are, are churches where that doesn't feel like the oh, message only because, you know, there's a, an emphasis on family and on love and forgiveness and all of those things are right and good Mm -hmm. and in line with God's heart but not at the expense of someone's physical emotional and sexual safety right and that's I think where the line needs to be drawn Elizabeth's so good you know the thing I'm learning in this conversation is there's responsibility for people you know of faith who say you know we speak against the lies and that I mean even with women who and children and who are being abused it is a responsibility for us Mm -hmm. to not shy away from it but to say whoa yes this is wrong and to be a voice into that and and then you know find ways of safety for them to get help and care in that way absolutely you know but I feel that that's you've been really empowering to me to say no you can't sit back and be like idly going you know, women are getting murdered, people are believing lies, and we just yeah. sit back and are like, my life is fine. Mm-hmm. But I, I find that you're you're sort of speaking out to say, you know, we have a responsibility yeah. um, to be a voice and to be hands to care. Well, and you're doing that, right? Though you're using, you know, this platform <laughs> to do exactly that, and that's what we need. We need people to go to their space that God's given them and speak these truths Mm. because if you're doing that in the space he's given you and I'm doing it in the space he's given me and everyone else is doing it in the space he's given them then the truth does get out right so I love that you know before the podcast happened we were talking about being in our 40s (laughs) and what I'm encouraged about this after we've just talked is that you know one of my biggest fears was getting older Mm. aging it's been one of these things and it's inevitable so it's a it's a one of those strange fears where it's like 
It's I can't control it because it's going to happen. And one of the biggest things was I didn't feel that when we got older that we would I would have opportunities that, mm. you know, being older, I wouldn't get, you know, the same kinds of the accolades or, or you know, conference speaking that, you know, I did when I was in my 30s. Right. And yet that's totally a lie because I've actually, it's accelerated. But I, I find that what I love about us in our 40s is that, you know, we can speak into these. We've had the experience behind mm-hmm. us, but now we can speak into this and feel like I feel like it's more of a confidence and an assurance in my walk and faith with Jesus to mm-hmm. be able to really say, yep, this is what I'm going to do. Absolutely. I don't care what you say if you think that's that I should be quiet about it. No, you know, in my 40s, I can... As a woman, I feel that now in this place and season, I can, you know, I can be this voice. Amen. Have you felt that too? I mean, when you, you sort of hit into your 40s, I want to encourage people because I've had so many women struggle in sort of this like perimenopausal, menopausal season of life, struggle with this identity and and, and, and space and role now. Right. But I want to encourage them as we sort of end this show that... No, this is this is a good time. This is a good season in your life. Well, I feel like what you're doing is speaking truth, right? Because mm-hmm. the lie is what society tells us that our worth and our value decreases as we get older as mm-hmm. women because we're not, you know, the airbrushed version of our <laughs> former selves. So I I agree and I I do think that that's the reality that we, you know, God is always making things new and he's always mm-hmm. bringing beauty from ashes and he he absolutely wastes nothing. And so, yeah, when you get into this stage of life where you're kind of in the middle of your life, you get to um, be a voice for him based on what he's walked you through thus far. And, you know, I don't have to convince you of this, that your story in someone else's life is more powerful than preaching at them about some biblical tenets or um, philosophical philosophical ideas that you might Mm -hmm. have, right? Like you being able to relate heart to heart with somebody where you're able to share your story and how that's what you've learned and how you've grown. It's going to make a far bigger difference. So I do think that being, we have a great opportunity, wrinkles and sags (laughs) notwithstanding. And maybe gray hairs. (laughs) Yeah, the occasional one that I forgot to pluck this morning. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, it offers us a really important platform that we wouldn't have if we were 20. Beautiful. Elizabeth Pierce, thank you so much. Your book, um, Deep Soulful Places, where can we get that? It is on Amazon. It's on Amazon? Yeah. Okay. And website? Yes, you can go to uh, com if okay. you want to visit my website. Great. Yeah. So to know all about you, how to get your book and yep. information. Absolutely. Excellent. What a pleasure. It was such a pleasure having you here on the show. Thank you for having me. I learned a lot. I'm encouraged. I feel like, whoa, I'm going to go out there as this strong 40-year-old woman and awesome. cut, cut through the lies and all kinds of things. Let's it's, do it together. All right. Thank you so much Thank for Thank you for here. having me. I really okay. appreciate it. Thanks. Good job! That was amazing! Thank you. You're a good interview. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of Your Story with Melinda. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never, ever miss an episode.